Do you know how to load a dishwasher? <laughs> no, what I mean is, do you know how to properly load a dishwasher? Now, I know half of you just said to yourself, yeah, you put the dishes in the dishwasher. And the other half of us know that you're wrong. <clears throat> and I know this because I have been involved in a, we'll call it a marital, an argument, for lack of a better term, about how to properly load a dishwasher. Savannah and I had moved into a new house or apartment. I'm not exactly sure. And we opened the dishwasher and we said, and I remember asking, how are we going to do the dishes? And she said, we're going to put the dishes in there. I said, no, no. How, what's, what's our method? You know, where, where are we going to put things? And she said, in the dishwasher. <laughs> so I corrected her. And um, then we had a different fight. But um, we know how to do the dishes now. You know, this week uh, was Valentine's Day. And there was uh, someone on social media asked, What's the silliest fight you uh, and your spouse have had? And she waited a while, and the number one answer was how to load the dishwasher. And again, people have these arguments. I know the teenagers are like, this is insane. It, it is. It is insane. My favorite response that she shared, though, was that about a, a, a wife wrote in and said, my husband and I got in an argument about whether or not we would let our daughter get her ears pierced. And I was very much for letting her get her ears pierced. And my husband said, no, absolutely not. There will not be any ear piercing here. And the reason that it was silly is because they did not have a daughter. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get into uh, a marriage today. We're going to talk about marriage. And, and really, it's, Paul's going to say it's about marriage, but it's also it's about the church. It's about our relationships, about how we relate to one another. So if you have your Bible with you today, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is in the New Testament, um, near, nearer to the back of your Bible, and we're going to be there in just a minute. Uh, again, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Kale, and if you're new here today, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us, whether you're here or online. Um, it's a wonderful time every week to come together. I think this is such an important time in our walk with Christ. However, our hope and our expectation is that this is not where it stops. That church is not a spectator sport. Church is a, is a place to be involved. And that God, I believe, puts you here with your gifts and talents for a reason. So there, if you look in your bulletin or if you get the church email or on our app or wherever, there's lots of things coming up. There's lots of ways to be involved. And our hope is that you will find some ways to be involved, some ways to use that, those gifts and talents. So we're in this series called After the Rose, and we're talking mainly about marriage, but also just about our relationships. And if you're in a relationship of any kind, I can promise you today that this, um, Paul's writing, this message is for you as well. Before we jump into the text, though, I want you to imagine that you're in a living room. Uh, maybe it looks a lot like yours at your house. But just imagine a living room that gathered are about 10 people. And this group hasn't been together very long, but this has been a body that's been established. And you're new here. Of course, you, you couldn't have been raised Christian because it's all new, but you're new to this group. You and your spouse came and you're in this, in this thing called a church now, and you're learning what it means to 
follow Jesus. And, and maybe because of that decision to follow him that you've actually lost relationships. Old friends, maybe even family, won't have anything to do with you anymore because you're now Christian. You, you weren't raised here. You served other gods. You worshiped in other ways, other places. But now you're here. And you've heard about this guy named Paul. He's somewhat of a hero. Um, he's not Jesus, but, you know, he's kind of close. And he wrote a letter. And so you're there, you're in Ephesus, and you're getting this letter for the very first time. Imagine if you were there hearing this letter for the first time. You're learning what it means to follow Christ better. He's answering things specifically that you asked him. You're asking the question, what does it mean to be part of a church, to be a Christ follower in my day and age? We ask the same question today. And in chapter 5, Paul gets to this part, and he's going to start talking about marriage. And when he does, you kind of start to want to turn your ears off because you know all about marriage. You've, you've learned all about it. You've seen your parents maybe, and you know everything that he says. But the person starts reading the letter out loud, and instead of turning your ears off, you, you're surprised. And something about his letter is different than you knew before. That's what we're going to get into today. See, writing about marriage was not abnormal in the first century. In fact, what we have in many instances is something called the household code. Um, most people believe this started with Aristotle. And Aristotle um, wrote something and he said, you know, this is what it would take to have a good household. This is, he's going to address uh, uh, the spousal relationship, husband and wife. He's going to address um, parents to kids, masters to slave. When the whole idea is that if the household is operating well, then the city will be healthy. And if the cities are healthy, then the empire will be healthy. And I think that we probably still think this today, don't we? That if our households are good, if they're solid, if they're healthy, if they're growing, well then, you know, then our neighborhood will be good. And if our neighborhoods are healthy, then our cities will be healthy. And if our cities are healthy, and on and on it goes. But it starts in the household. So they had this household code. And one writer said that most household codes described women like this. Women were expected to have blind obedience, docile servility, and unthinking subservience. That this was normal. But again, what you hear will be surprising. So let's jump into Paul's letter in Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul does the unexpected. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. And he says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're looking at your Bible app, or if you have your Bible open, you're going to see that the marriage section is below this. And so you might think that I made a mistake. Uh, but I think I was telling someone after first service, you know, those headings, um, the writer didn't put those in. You know, we put them in later. And I think Paul's idea starts right here. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That in everything you do, if, you're, if you start by being filled with the Spirit, everything is going to be better. It's going to operate better. So what does he say? Being filled with the Spirit, that's how you should speak. That's how you should sing. 
That's how you should make music. Give thanks. And he's going to continue. He's going to say, and yes, that's how you should submit. And so it continues in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you know, it might be a better way to to understand this if we were to read it like this, saying submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, to submit isn't a a one-time thing. It isn't something that you, you check it off and you move on, but this is a continual act that we are continually submitting to one another. Now, some of your older Bibles, again, would have verse 21 in the section prior, but I think this is, these are the two controlling narratives. These are the ideas that, that he wants to start with as we lead into marriage. Be filled with the Spirit and s- submitting to one another. That if we start in those two places, marriage is going to be a lot easier. Our relationships are gonna, going to be a lot easier. doesn't mean we're not going to have issues, we're not going to have problems. Of course we are. But if we start with those, now when we read verse 21, the original audience would have been stunned because they knew all about submission. This is normal. I mean, it essentially starts with the emperor and just makes, it, makes its way down. They knew all about submission, wives submitting to husbands, kids submitting to parents, slaves submitting to their masters. They knew all about this, everyone submitting to Rome. They know what it means to submit to one another, but it always is a top-down thing. It always flows in one direction. It's always about power. And here he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And a lot of times we think of the word submit, and we think of it as a degrading term. We think of it as, as, a, as a dirty word, don't we? Like, oh, we don't want to do that. In fact, if you were to, to tell me to submit, it might make me feel um, angry or bad. Don't, don't tell me to do that. But here we have the direction given to all of us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. And it's not a a bad word or a dirty word because in at least two times in Scripture otherwise, we'll, we'll read that Jesus submits to the Father. That who being very... In very nature, God, equal with God, he gives all of that up. He submits to the Father and it goes to the cross for you and for me. So if it's, if it's okay for Jesus, then it's okay for us. But we have a hard time submitting, don't we? And there's a story I read a few years ago about this uh, woman named Anna. And she's from Germany, but she had moved to New York City. And Anna was a I'm an heiress. So she had some kind of large $60 million trust fund. Her parents were billionaires. And so she lived that kind of life. She went to all the right parties. She went to all the right restaurants. She was um, an heiress, whatever that means today. That's the life she lived. But, you know, sometimes she had trouble. So she would just run up debt and she would tell people, you know, eventually we'll pay that off. She took loans out on her name, um, on her trust fund. Eventually, yes, I'll pay all of that off eventually. Um, and now, you could go to your Netflix when you get home today, and you could go watch a show called Inventing Anna, because her name was Anna, but none of the rest of the story was true. She lived this life that, that was all fake. She put up this facade for everyone. She served jail time, because she essentially stole from people left and right. And you hear that, you might hear that story and you go, who would do that? And some of you heard that story and go, how do I do that? <laughs> And we think, we think it's, it's crazy, right? Who, what kind of person would do that? And I would ask you, don't we kind of do this? 
Don't we kind of try to put up a facade, make a show of ourselves? Don't we try to lift ourselves higher? Don't we want people to think better of us? After all, you might have heard the the cliche before that we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't like. We do this, right? And the, the message from Scripture, the example of Jesus is to submit to one another, to take the downward path. It's not the path of the world. It's a better path, but it's not not necessarily easier. See, as a Christ follower, we don't wait for someone to ask us to submit or to demand that we do. We want to go ahead and put ourselves in that posture. We take the posture of a servant, we take the posture of a slave, and we look for ways to sacrifice from ourselves to give to another. That's what it means to continually submit to one another. This is, in terms of marriage, in terms of our relationship, how we do our church relationships, this is a countercultural, kingdom-oriented approach. This is what Scripture wants from us. As we get into these instructions on marriage, what you need to understand is that Paul does not envision domination by either gender as a view of healthy marriage. That's not how Paul sees marriage. Paul, in this text, is going to be painting with broad strokes. He cannot address every single circumstance that you and I will face. But what he can do is put us in the right heart with the right attitude, to be filled with the Spirit and to be ready to mutually submit to other people. These are the ideas that we keep in mind. So we'll start with his directions in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, this is the part of the passage that if you were hearing this for the first time in the first century, you would say, this is the obvious part of the passage. Well, of course, for two reasons. One, wives have already been told to submit, haven't they? In verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now then he says, just a few verses later, wives submit to your husband. It's the same direction, two times. The second reason is because, duh, they already were submitting to their husbands. The average couple, the average Gentile couple in the first century, the husband probably was married around 30 and his wife was around 16 or 17. Now you tell me in a first century where women and men had different social standing, they had different status, of course they're submitting to their husbands. It's the law of the land. And on top of that, they may not have even had much to do with the marriage agreement in the first place. They might have been put there by their father or any other number of reasons. So of course the wives will submit to the husband. This is normal. This is what they do and always have done. Paul's other direction there is, as he says, the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And when we read that, some of us have probably used that language before, haven't we? Well, as the head of the household, as the head over my wife. And when we use that language, we're using it in terms of power. And that's not what the text has in mind. See, Paul, underlying all of this, isn't, it's not about power, it's about love, and it's about respect. So we use it in terms of power, but that's not, again, what he had in mind. What he has in mind is just as Christ was head of the church. And I would ask you, what did Christ do for the church? 
How did Christ establish the church? Well, he gave of his life for the church. So, husbands, before you want to put yourself in the Christ position and say, well, you know, I'm the head of the household just like Christ was head of the church, well, then your wife might respond to you, yeah, Jesus died for the church. <laughs> when we use this word head, you might could also put in a different, uh, a different way to, to think about this. You might could put in the word source, just as Christ is the source of the church. The husband is the source of the wife. And what Paul wants you to think about, if you, if you know your scriptures, he wants you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where God had formed Adam. And as God formed Adam, he noticed that Adam was lonely. So he wanted to make for him a companion. He put Adam to sleep. And, and out of Adam, he used Adam as the source for his wife Eve. That Adam sacrificed part of himself Adam gave of himself so that Eve could be. This is what it means to be the source. Just like Adam was the source from Eve, Christ is the source of the church. Christ gave his own body to be the source of the church. So now Paul will turn his directions to husbands, and he'll, he'll say this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's where Paul in his household code will will be different from his contemporaries. Never before, up until this point... On record, was there a household code that included husbands love your wives? That wasn't there. In fact, as I just said, that's not one of the reasons that many couples got married. They weren't getting married for love as you and I um, watch maybe on your Hallmark movies or whatever else you like to watch, right? That's not why they're getting married. That's not the impetus for many of them. And so if you're sitting there around the church, if you're in the living room, and you've started to change because you knew you've been, you've heard of this man named Jesus and you have the gift of the spirit. So your relationships are changing. You want to be the kind of person that loves your wife, but you might've gotten married for different reasons. And so Paul commands husbands to love his wife and he uses in the Greek language, which the new Testament was written in, there are four different words for the word love. He uses agape here, agape love. It's this unconditional type of love. So when he says, husbands, love your wife, it is on no condition. Though he addresses the wife first, husbands, you're not called to love only if they submit to you. You're called to love unconditionally first. And so we'll never have the conversation that you might say, well, you know, my wife is getting better at submission. She's getting better at it, and so, you know, I'm trying to love her a little bit more. And Paul would say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you love her unconditionally regardless. And this word love is this holy love. 
It's the love that comes from God. It's a love that is self-surrendering. It's not about you. It's about them. It's the sacrificial love that you give of yourself for another. So husbands, this is his direction to you. To love your wife. To give of yourself. To be the source that you sacrifice of your desires, of your needs, of your wants for the other. So here's a couple of things as we read this passage today. And we aren't in the first century anymore. So what does this passage have for us today? And in everything, I think he has a message for us and a message for the church today. The first is this. So there should be unity in marriage. Because he says, for out of two became one. Uh, growing up, my mom made this salad dressing. And she probably still has it in her refrigerator to this day. Um, it's her favorite salad dressing. So she makes it all the time. And growing up, I thought that's what all salad dressing was. I don't think I knew what ranch dressing was until I was like in high school or something. And I've had a lot since then. <laughs> so she made this salad dressing that every time you, if you pulled it out of her fridge, you would think that it looks weird. There's oil in it. There's vinegar in it. And as you know, as, if you know, as it sits for a while, it starts to separate. Now, once you shake it up, once you're ready to eat it, it looks like one salad dressing, but eventually it separates. Well, that is not a good example of what you're called to be in your marriage relationships. The language that Paul uses here is that, yes, there were two individuals, but they became one, and those two no longer exist. They don't separate again. And we often say in our marriages and things like that, we say, what God has put together, let man not separate. That, that's what it's called to be. And the same, again, is true for the church, that God has brought us here as one body. And so, yes, we are made up of individuals. We're made up of many parts, but he has made one body. We're called to be unified. This doesn't mean that you don't still have your hobbies, uh, your favorite TV shows, the, the, your favorite food. That, that's not what that means. What it means is that the priority goes to the marriage. It goes to the relationship, not to the individual. Many of you came in here today, though, and you might say, well, we're struggling with unity. Maybe it's here at church. Maybe it's in your marriage relationship. We're struggling with unity. Why is that? So we all walked in here this morning as fallen people. We all walked in here with sin in our life. And sin separates. Sin divides. So we came, up here, we came in here with sin today. And as we live as those kind of people, we're going to constantly have to be fighting for unity. We're going to have to constantly be fighting to be one. So as I thought about what, what can we do to have unity in our marriages? What can we tangibly do? And I think the first is that we have the church. You were brought here or another church like it for a reason. We're called to be here because we lean on our church family. Whatever's going on in your life isn't yours to deal with alone. As we've been saying all year, we're better together. So we want to bring these issues, the things that are causing us to have these rifts in our marriage, in our relationships, we bring them to the church. The second is like it. Tim challenged us last week to pray together in our marriages. And it's a hard, it's a hard challenge to put before you. I don't know if you've sat down before with someone that you maybe you've never prayed with, just the two of you. It can be vulnerable. It can be difficult. 
I get no credit for this, but uh, my wife and I have been praying together probably over 15 years. I think we might have been engaged at the time. Maybe we were considering getting engaged at the time. I cannot remember. It wasn't my idea, but Savannah said, I think we should start praying together. And it made me feel uh, uncomfortable at first, if I'm being completely honest. I thought it, it was weird. It was different. And it's the best thing that we've ever done for our marriage, is to every day pray together. Doesn't matter if we're traveling, if we're home. And again, I get no credit for this. She gets all the credit for this. And there was some misunderstanding at first service. So I'll be honest with you. It's not like we're, you know, having a Bible study every night. It's not like it takes an hour. Sometimes, sometimes we've been busy and, and we're tired. Sometimes it's a 30-second prayer. But what we do is we make it a priority that we will pray together every day. The second thing I think we see in this passage is I think it brings up a question. What if you're stuck? What if your marriage is stuck? Meaning you've got a big decision to make. Should we take this job or that job? Buy this house or that house? Should we send our kids to that school or this school? Should we have kids or not? What if we're stuck in our marriage? Who gets to make the decision? Almost every time I talk about this passage, that's what somebody wants to ask. Who gets to make the decision? And if that's the question, we're asking the wrong question. Because that question is based on power. Who has the power? Who gets the final say? This isn't a boss-employee relationship. This is a couple who's coming together to mutually submit to one another. It doesn't mean that we're not still going to have times that we're stuck. We have different opinions. We have different things that we want to do. Different feelings on the situation. We, we have different wisdom. We have different giftedness. And that would be the place that I would start. If you're stuck, think about how God has gifted you. Sometimes, even in the context of a church family, we're stuck. And the question isn't, well, who has the most power? The question is, is who has God gifted to help solve this problem? Who has God gifted that could help find a way forward? If we've got problems with the electricity, we don't go find the boss. We go find the electrician, right? The same is true in your marriage. You ask, who has God gifted in this? Again, an example from ours is that maybe we have a difference of opinion about parenting. And while I'm trying to be the best parent I can be, God has gifted Savannah to be a much better parent at this time than I am. And so sometimes there's a difference of opinion. And I say, what do you think? What is your wisdom telling us here? So we think about our giftedness. And we also, again, we come back to the church. This is about the church. And so maybe... You need to come and bring some of that that's going on in your marriage. You bring it to the church family. So often we act like what's ours is ours to keep and to keep a secret here at church. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We all walked in here today as fallen, sinful, broken people. We're not trying to be that way. That's who we tend to be. We're being transformed into Christ's image. But while we do, we, we might sometimes struggle with sin. And our marriages, as a result, might struggle. It's not yours to keep alone. You bring it to the church. That's why we have the church. But if we, if we say mutual submission doesn't work, because if we're stuck, someone has to make a decision, we're buying into the way the world sees marriage. We're buying into this individualistic view of marriage. But church, scripture does not support that view Scripture supports that we are part of one body. We are part of the church. 
And because of that, your marriage belongs to the church. So the church gets a say. That's not to mean we come and air our dirty laundry all the time, but when there is a moment that you might be stuck, that, there might, that it might be difficult, we bring it to the church. There are people that God has placed us with, that have wisdom beyond us. They're not even necessarily married people, but people that God has gifted the Holy Spirit to that will advise you and help lead you in your own marriage. At this church, we made a decision a couple years ago to install what we call our marriage mentoring ministry. We have 12 couples, couples that we already looked up to because of their marriage. And we put them through some, a training. They're mentors ready to walk with you. So if you want to know more about that, you can ask me after service. But we have these mentors that are ready to walk with you because we know that marriage is hard. Many of us brought in a marriage that is, that is going through a difficult time right now. And our plea this morning is to not keep it just to yourself. That's why we're members of the church. Share it with the church. But again, lastly, we don't forget that all of this, Paul says, he says, this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is about our relationships here at church. This is about how we do this thing called church. The book of Ephesians, he talks a lot about the church and how it is near and dear to God's heart. That the church was part of God's plan all along. Jesus died for the church. He died to make it holy and blameless. He loves the church and he calls it his body. So as we walk in here this morning, we are a unified being. We're not just a group of individuals. We are one flesh. And because of it, we mutually submit to one another. We give one another respect. We sacrifice for one another. We look for ways to serve one another. It's not about us. We leave our own desires. We leave our own opinions, traditions. We leave those at the door because we're part of one church. We look for ways to give to others. We call this place family and we mean it. As I already said, I believe that God established this church for this time at this place and he puts you in it. You have gifts and talents and, and the church here needs them. We would be lacking without you. And so we call this family, and we mean it. And just like what your family might mean to you, this family means the same. We mean it when we say that. This summer, Savannah and I will celebrate 14 years of marriage. And we met each other way back when uh, we were both in high school. That's a story for another day. Um, And for her, at least, it was love at first sight. But... (laughs) It's funny because you've seen her and, and me. So, um, so a few years later, we were in college and we were about 20. We were considering uh, getting engaged, uh, being married to one another. We were considering what it means to love one another. And how, how will this work? Because, you know, there are, relationships are hard. There's difficulty. And I was all of 20. And as you know, 20-year-old males, we have it all figured out. We know everything. And so... I had a lot of wisdom that day, and I said, you know, I think I know how this is going to work. You know, a relationship works because it's a give and a take, and so sometimes I'll give and other times I'll take. And, you know, it's it's a 50-50. And Savannah said, I think you have it all wrong. Healthy relationships are not a give and a take. They're a give and a give some more. There is not a 50-50. It is only 100 
And the same is true for your relationships, whether it's here and this church family or in your marital relationship. It is a give and a give some more. Because we have been filled with the Spirit. And because we've been filled with the Spirit, we submit to one another continually. That's our call this morning. To be filled with the Spirit. Don't fill your life with other things. Fill your life with the Spirit. And then out of that, we can submit to one another. It's not about you. The we is more important than the me. And so this morning, I know that people brought in hurts. They brought in sin this morning. They brought in brokenness. Church, we're better together. It's not for you to hold alone. The church has a say. And as a body, we hold that together. So as we close, our shepherds and their wives are going to be around the room. And these couples are couples that are filled with the Spirit. That God has put in these roles for a purpose. And maybe it's for such a time as today. That the brokenness you brought in here today, you need someone else to walk with you. And I know it's a hard step, but take the step today. We're going to call for you to go and pray with them today. And I know there are people in here that need prayers today. So go seek these couples out. These people that will walk with you in this. We want to be people who are filled with the Spirit. We will continue to submit to one another. That will lead us to healthy relationships. So won't you take that step while we stand and sing?